The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Start with this today. Tensions are flaring in the Persian Gulf as U.S. President Donald Trump says America is locked and loaded to respond to a weekend drone assault on Saudi Arabia's energy infrastructure that his aides are blaming on Iran. The attack cut in half the kingdom's oil production and sent crude prices spiking. Uh, With the details, here's Jennifer Johnson. Flames and billowing smoke lighting up the sky, the world's largest oil processing facility on fire after multiple drone strikes. The smoke even visible from space. The attack shut down about half of Saudi Arabia's crude oil output, 5% of the world's daily production, and drivers could pay the price. The market expects that gasoline prices are going to go up 15 to 25 cents a gallon. Houthi rebels in neighboring Yemen have claimed responsibility for the attacks. Its spokesman says they used 10 drones in retaliation for the Saudis' five-year blockade on their country. But U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says all evidence points to Iran, and the White House hasn't ruled out an attack on Iran's oil fields. This president and his national security team and Secretary Pompeo, our nation's chief diplomat, keep many options on the table, particularly when it comes to retaliating against malign behavior and protecting American interests. The U.S. Energy Department is now prepared to tap into its strategic petroleum reserve, if needed, to stabilize the global energy supply. Saudi Arabia says it too will try to minimize the effect. There is a significant reserve that could maintain and help Saudi Arabia in the coming days till the production come back again. A statement read on Iranian TV said Iran's foreign ministry dismissed Pompeo's accusation while claiming the U.S. is turning to a maximum lying policy. But the Trump administration says this will only further escalate tensions. Pompeo is now calling on all U.S. allies to hold Iran accountable for this act of aggression. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. So more than uh, 50% or 5%, rather, 5% of the global oil production was taken uh, offline. What does it mean for you? Well, to find out, we've uh, dialed up Dan McTagg, the senior petroleum analyst at gaspricewizard.com. Hey, Dan. Hey, Jillian. How are you today? When did you stop being my buddy and now you're a wizard? (laughs) I'm a wizard. (laughs) When I decided to uh, focus on Canada, Gasprice is a great site and uh, I was happy to work with them. I put another two years on top of that, but uh, now I can uh, take the time to uh, focus on what I do well at, and that's to predict prices uh, right across Canada and give people a bit of a heads up to uh, help them a little bit uh, manage their budget in uh, very difficult times, very expensive times as well. For sure. So, Dan, when you heard about uh, what happened on the weekend, what was your first thought? Uh, my heart sunk, uh, but I also was uh, I gave myself a bit of consolation knowing that uh, this is the week we also shipped from more expensive summer gasoline to winter gasoline, so it might mitigate the uh, the real impact. Uh, this reminded me, uh, Jalen, of what happened uh, almost the same week in 2008 when I was a member of Parliament and Hurricane Ike mm. uh, struck the U.S. Gulf uh, Coast, knocking out most refineries, and we saw it one evening a 12-cent-a-liter increase. Mm. I don't think we're going to see that much, um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see wholesale prices going up a minimum five, but more than likely eight cents a liter here in Edmonton, right across uh, Alberta, right across the West. Uh, Eastern Canada might see something along the lines of four to four and a half, but it's, it's still a few hours away before that's settled. Right now, uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but if you're near a gas station, seeing it for 88 cents a liter, as they say, uh, don't think about it, do it, purchase. 
I, I had never heard of this winter blend before when it came to <laughs> gasoline. What, what is that? <laughs> yeah, so in, in this country, uh, because of the climate, uh, we do have a change in weather, and it usually starts uh, nominally around the 15th of September and ends, uh, starts warming up around the middle of April. I mean, they could have chosen any other date. It depends where you are in the country. It seems that in Edmonton here, we were cold in the middle of August. But the reality is that for, uh, for gasoline, you want to make sure that during the summer, uh, it behaves in a way that uh, doesn't injure the vehicle. Uh, you know, make sure that uh, uh, it burns properly without run on or knock, and at the same time, doesn't dissipate, doesn't uh, evaporate into the environment, uh, which can create some low uh, low ozone problems. So during the summer, refineries are required to change the mixture, uh, the composition of the gasoline, to make sure it's less volatile. Uh, when it's uh, when temperatures are hotter, and in the winter, the reverse is true. You want to make mm-hmm. sure that your car starts in colder temperatures, so the additives are changed, removed, and it turns out that winter gasoline, so that period from September 15th all the way to April 15th, uh, the composition, the additives, uh, the m- main characteristics of the gasoline is a lot less expensive to make. Mm-hmm. One of the differences is butane. We use a lot more of it in colder weather, and you certainly don't want to use that in summer weather because it's highly volatile. Dan, reading today uh, about uh, about the Canadian imports from Saudi Arabia over the years, how much it's increased, like by 66% uh, since 2014. Um, most Saudi oil exports to Canada go to refineries in eastern Canada. Yep. Um, why is it or how is it that we are just so dependent on, on, on Saudi oil? Uh, easier uh, to to import it, and of course Saudis don't have much of a market left in North America. That is to say, their traditional market in the U.S. Gulf Coast has now been upended by U.S. Uh, frackers and uh, mm-hmm. being able to produce their own oil and reversing pipelines. Some of our companies, Enbridge, have been involved with that uh, in the United States, but it also has to do with the reality that uh, uh, you know, Dara saying I'm from Eastern Canada. Yeah. I've done d- dozens of interviews on this. Canadians uh, think nothing of uh, of blocking pipelines, and yeah. uh, when you don't have social license, you wind up uh, paying another type of license, uh, a lot more in your pocket. And I think Quebec, the Maritimes, are about to be hit in a way that they perhaps have forgotten because prices were very high this time last year. Uh, this situation gets a lot worse, and I, I believe it might, uh, especially given uh, your intro here, the, if the Trump administration is uh, looking to strike back at Iran or if uh, uh, the Saudi oil fields can't get back up producing anytime soon, uh, the strategic reserve, the strategic petroleum reserve uh, in Louisiana and Texas combined have about three quarters of a billion in barrels of oil. Uh, that is, sounds great, but if uh, in four or five weeks it won't sound great because it won't be enough to uh, mm. lessen the, uh, the increased demand. So look for higher prices and unfortunately for Eastern Canada, you're going to have to pay a much higher price for blocking uh, an important uh, conduit like Energy East, which would be almost finished by now were it not for the protesters. Yeah, I was just going to mention Energy East, and I saw a lot of people talking about that, certainly on Twitter, saying, wouldn't it have been great to have that right now? Well, East and West. Yeah, Think yeah, about yeah. it. Trans Mountain <laughs> Pipeline, we know the Prime Minister likes making a big deal, so does his minister, and I'm not going to be political here, but I am a Liberal of, what, 18 years in the House of Commons, 37 in the trenches. Uh, when you don't allow mobilization permits, uh, let's knock off the charade. You had never had an intention of getting this pipeline going anyways, and it's likely, given the current rate and, and caliber of candidates you're attracting from green, uh, you know, uh, extreme groups, I think here of candidate Guibault in uh, uh, one of the plum ridings in Quebec, you have absolutely no interest of building any pipeline. You certainly wouldn't have done it with C-68, C-69. But mm. the reality is that it had TMX been up and running, 
we've been able to sell the oil that is no longer available to Asian markets, which are you know really panicking right now because much of the Saudi oil was heading there. Uh, one of the big things, and, and you've touched on this, is how long it's going to take to restore the the oil output to normal levels uh, for the Saudis, because that that could trickle down in in numerous ways. You know, driving up uh, the prices of of many different things. I know jet fuel to to diesel. I mean, if you're looking for travel yeah. options, maybe coming up in the next little while, and the prices are already sky high. Um, it could just be it could just be getting worse. Yeah, Jalen, when it comes to diesel, this is the time of year where diesel prices actually head up mm-hmm. because the supply gets crunched by colder weather, uh, farmers taking crops off the field. Uh, it's really a proxy for uh, a shift in, in season. So uh, while gasoline is heading up, diesel will go even higher. The timing couldn't be worse on this. We're also looking at different types of diesel uh, with something called the IMO 2020. So diesel, jet fuel, the, the fuel that really runs the world economy could be in very short supply because it's a very close proxy to oil. Uh, if this situation in uh, in Saudi Arabia isn't physically changed, doesn't matter what the rhetoric is, but if they're not able to get back up and get back to full production, I would say by the end of uh, this month, uh, look for gas prices in Canada to go up about another 8 to 10 cents mm-hmm. a litre and look for diesel to move up as much as 20 cents a litre. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're forewarned, uh, but guaranteed there's going to be a big increase here come Wednesday, uh, and I wouldn't wait around uh, until uh, Wednesday morning to fill up either diesel or, diesel or gasoline anywhere here in Edmonton. Reading this just a short time ago, about an hour ago, actually, not even, like, yeah, I actually, an hour ago, oil has logged its biggest one-day gain since 2008. Following that attack, West Texas Intermediate Crude for October delivery ran uh, rose eight dollars and five cents. That's almost fifteen percent to sixty-two ninety a barrel. And I know some people look at that and go, "Hey, that's good news." Yeah, it is good news because it's pushed up the the price. Unfortunately, uh, although we get a little bit more for what we can sell today, we can't uh, we can't scale up. Mm. We can't take advantage of this. You know, five million barrels. Imagine if we had had two pipelines built or even one pipeline built, uh, generating uh, you know sixty-five, seventy dollars a barrel. At that kind of price, uh, on a given day, going over for two months, that would be about a $10 billion uh, shot in the economy of the country. So anybody who thinks it's cute and trendy to go around blocking pipelines and, uh, you know, uh, find cute ways to uh, stop our economy from moving has to really understand that uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, hospital beds, teachers' pensions, Mm. and things like that that are directly affected. But I I suspect this may be a wake-up call for people. This was the largest single-day increase in the price of oil going back to September 22nd, 2008, as I mentioned earlier. Back then, it, believe it or not, it, in one single day, it went up as much as uh, 13 dollars $13 a barrel. So it's not likely we're going to see that again because of the uh, energy super bubbles that existed in 2008, just before the crisis. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, Hurricane Ike, mm. when it uh, struck the Gulf Coast. Uh, Dan, uh, you said earlier that you didn't want to get political, but I'm going to put you a bit uh, on on the hot spot here. And if you want to answer it, you can. If not, you can tell me to you know go pound sand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that. We're, we're, we're Maybe the, oil. <laughs> <laughs> we're into the election uh, campaign here. What are you expecting to see from the party leaders on the energy front? And is anyone putting anything out there uh, at this point that's really caught your eye? Look, I think affordability is important. Um, Backing our winners is also important. Um, I was a member of Parliament, luckily, in a time when energy and oil sales from Canada to the United States with pipeline infrastructure able to scale up helped us reduce a major headache in Canada, national debt that was, be- was crippling. And we were becoming the honorary uh, you know, third world debtors club. I remember that full well back in 1997, 1998. 
So I know the importance of getting our energy to market isn't just a slogan, uh, uh, but we really have to understand that uh, this election is about uh, putting our best efforts forward and making sure our, our winners, that is our energy sector, is able to continue to thrive in the way it's doing south of the border. Um, I don't know the policies of uh, the uh, Maxime Bernier's party, mm-hmm. uh, but I am uh, mildly impressed with uh, what Andrew Shears is proposing in terms of energy corridor. Uh, is willing to uh, to push back on a carbon tax and likely, more importantly for the energy sector, uh, perhaps lining up on the 30-yard line the Canadian fuel standards, uh, which are likely to make gasoline and oil a lot more expensive uh, and punt it through the end zone along with C48 and C69. That's music to my ears. I'm from Ontario. I was a liberal. I fought the oil companies as far as the downstream was concerned. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined mm. the desire to put them out of business. So I think uh, my liberal friends today are not the same liberals they were back then. And uh, I'm not a new Democrat, so I guess I'm still in the center. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Shear looks a lot more attractive today than he did, uh, say, a few months ago. That energy corridor um, sounds like a, a, a really interesting and, and good idea. Well, look, uh, Quebec's going to say no, but yeah, well. the area of, of, of Angawa that was ceded to Quebec after 1912, that's the history, it was given to Quebec on, on condition of state within Canada, but it is, in fact, uh, sovereign to Canada, not to Quebec, though it's part of the province. Uh, so there is the ability to put a corridor through there. And, of course, if Quebec doesn't want to do that, then perhaps Quebec ought to uh, forego the $13 billion in equalization. And I know that I'm speaking to a, a convinced audience, but I'm speaking to the Ontario audience. I say the exact same thing. And I would say the exact same perfect French, because that's my faculty comes from there. Uh, you guys cannot turn around and deny the, the hand that feeds you. And if you're prepared to do that uh, then uh, and say no to uh, pipelines going through Quebec uh, to get to the Maritimes, which is the better part of the, you know, the, the betterment of the country, uh, then do without the equalization. I'll be happy with that, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll basically keep quiet at that point. But as long as Quebec's cashing in $13 billion of revenue from Western Canada, it's got to either put up or shut up. Dan, you know, it was interesting uh, listening to uh, Elizabeth May release um, uh, the Green uh, Party platform today. And, of course, really not surprising with some of the stuff that she's calling uh, in there, banning hydraulic fracking to extract fuels approved, no new pipelines, coal or oil or gas drilling, drilling, cancel the Trans Mountain Pipeline, wants everything, uh, 100% of Canada's electricity to come from renewable resources. Um, You know, it's it's just been fascinating to watch over the past few days and how spread out it is. And then I kind of look at, you know, everything that she wants done, um, you know, almost all sunshine and lollipops, and I'm thinking, well, how the hell are you paying for it? Well, it's never mind what she's saying, because we know that it borders on, uh, you know, on years of brainwashing and, uh, and, and some people who think we live in the land of make, uh, magic and make-believe. Make no mistake, the policy she's proposing today will be the policy of the federal Liberal Party in the next couple of years, uh, and with the NDP mm. and the Bloc Québécois only too busy to try to emulate it. So mm. that's how far out of sync and how to whack and out of proportion these parties are with reality. Uh, and I, I suspect that uh, uh, Canada is heading for a very, very serious uh, uh, economic crisis when you see the advocacy of those kind of plans. And uh, you may not have to wait two or three years for it. There could be a, a hung parliament in which the Liberals form government by, with the consent of uh, the uh, the Green Left uh, radical agenda, the so-called Leap Manifesto mm-hmm. folks, uh, uh, basically buried in the ground. I come from Ontario, as you had mentioned earlier. Yeah. Try looking at hydro prices here. Uh, we don't even want nuclear, and that's the very thing that's allowed Ontario to be as strong as it was, despite not having the resources and blessed the way Quebec was, mm-hmm. hydrology, and the West, in terms of its, uh, if it's coal, its uh, oil, and 
and it's natural gas. So, you know, we're throw, we've thrown away a major advantage here in Ontario, and uh, we're about to do it for the rest of the country. So anybody who thinks those policies are cute uh, may want to give their head a very serious shake because that is uh, the kind of stuff that is dangerously leading our nation, uh, not just to an economic crisis, but potentially a constitutional one. Dan McTagg joining us this afternoon. Dan, always great to talk to you. Always appreciate your time. Thank you for this. Okay, gas up before Wednesday, Jalen. Get going. All right, thank you for that. As he says, gas up before Wednesday. Dan McTagg, the Senior Petroleum Analyst at GasPriceWizard.com.